0: Where we've been hurt or harmed or betrayed, we're carrying that around with us now. The other person's doing whatever they're doing in life, Mm -hmm. but we're carrying around the pain. We're
1: carrying around the hurt. We're carrying around the resentment. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome, to emotional sobriety.
2: Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is Dr. Alan Berger. Dr. Well, Berger. Happy holidays. I'm good. Happy holidays. I, Tom. Happy it, holidays. It, it, I it. think I've I, I think I'm actually in the holiday
0: spirit now. Okay, well, good, good. <laughs> I so I don't I can't, I don't have to send you the movie about the uh Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. No, 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 no. Although I love the Bill Murray version. Scrooge. That's,
2: That's okay. So
0: it, uh, well, I like Bill Murray. Murray. I mean, Bill Murray yeah. is one of my favorite all-time actor comedians. Yeah. I mean, the guy yeah, is great. Yeah. But look, you know, we've we've finished Hanukkah, we're on the way into Christmas, and we're having a big surge of the omicron variant of this stupid <laughs> covid thing. I mean right? my goodness, man. I hope all of you are are safe out there and taking care of yourselves and mm-hmm. and protecting yourself from this crazy virus that we're all dealing with right now. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Patrick, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I was going to say, in terms of Christmas films, I prefer the one where Hans Gruber takes over Nakatomi Plaza. That's my <laughs> I ideal. Die heart. Yeah, that's what I'll be watching this this uh, this Christmas.
0: I, I one love, of my I, favorite
2: movies. One of my favorites. I I, I saw that movie in a theater, uh, and this was back in the days. So I don't remember the. What you probably know what year it came out, Patrick, but but I saw it. I used to take off on Fridays when I was working, when I was working for somebody else. Uh, and I would, I would take off on Fridays because it felt like I was getting away with something. And I would go to the movies in the afternoon. And, and it's like, and there was, even if it was a pretty, it was a new movie. It was like, nobody was there on Friday. They were, everybody else uh, you know, was working. And they were like four, four people in the theater. And like, and so we, we, we just chatted it up the whole, Oh no, you, you know, we were just, we were talking through the whole, the whole thing to each, but to each other. And that was a great movie. And I love the fact that just because it kind of happens around Christmas time and they play Christmas music at the end, it's become a Christmas movie. It's like <laughs> an American tradition. So true.
0: <laughs> so true. Dippy yay Yay, hey, my <laughs> bro. <laughs> Loved it, loved it. Absolutely, it one of my favorite, all-time favorite Bruce Willis movies. We're still working on forgiveness uh, today, right? We're working on forgiveness, and it, the timing's almost perfect on it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and and you know, it's wow, it's 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 always relevant, and it seems like in this time of year, it even has more relevance for people. But you know, as I mentioned before, when we were starting to talk about today. I love it when you go to the dictionary. It's correct. I got the dictionary here. So forgiveness. Here we go. It's willfully putting aside feelings of resentment toward an individual who has committed a wrong, who has been unfair or hurtful or otherwise harmed one in some way. Forgiveness is not equated with reconciliation or excusing another. I'll repeat. It is not not equated with reconciliation or excusing another, and it is not merely accepting what happened or ceasing to be angry. Rather, it involves a voluntary transformation of one's feelings. Here we go. A voluntary transformation of one's feelings, attitudes, and behavior towards the individual, so that one is no longer dominated by resentment, and can express compassion, generosity, or the like towards the individual. Forgiveness is sometimes considered an important process in psychotherapy or counseling. We could also add in recovery. Absolutely. I love that. There's isn't so that a there's, great, there's, isn't that a great thorough definition Well of-
2: and it and it and it really gives us the 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 tools to to the language it, it chooses it gives us the tools to really kind of debunk things that we at least we used to subjective Definition, obviously, but but that we consider myths about forgiveness that get in the way of people uh, being able to do that. I mean, it's you know, and, and of course, a lot of those are about speaking of expectations uh, and emotional sobriety. That the expectations of ourselves are too high. It is a very practical psychological definition in the sense that it starts with willfully or purposely choosing to to set aside yeah. feelings to not. And, and what we would say is there's, I don't know how do you set aside a feeling? I know how you, how you, how you make a decision to work on a day-to-day basis of not identifying with the feeling as strongly. Well, yeah. What well, so we you and, you and we're I would
0: talk about how to work through those feelings, right? It's not right. setting them aside, but how mm-hmm. do we work through those feelings we have? And look, that's what we want to talk about today. You mm-hmm. know, how do we work through? What does the process look like that you can engage in to help you transform your pain? in your resentment, in your anger towards that person so that you're no longer controlled by those feelings. See, because that's the issue, you know, where we've been hurt or harmed or betrayed. We're carrying that around with us now. The other person's doing whatever they're doing in life, Mm -hmm. but we're carrying around the pain. We're carrying around the hurt. We're carrying around the resentment. And, you know, we say this all the time. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Yeah. it's not it's to set ourselves free well you know yeah herb that's kagan, that
2: go ahead yeah. i love Herb. her no, i was You're just good, gonna good. say
0: herb kagan hurry herb kagan talks about you know that when he looked up the word forgiveness in the in the, the dictionary um what he found was that the first term that was used was release we release mm-hmm, the other mm-hmm, person mm-hmm. Yeah, and i love that image of releasing letting go of what of, of what we experience, but letting go is a process. You can't just say, I'm going to let this go. Mm-hmm. You need to work through the feelings you have. And so let's, let's Well, talk the, the, the other people.
2: thing, let me just say that about letting go too, because I say this to people a lot of times, people, people will, some, you know, most of the things that are really are, we really do need to let go of throughout this process of, of recovery are things that we very likely, if I, uh, you know, if I let go of it, I may I may take a breath or two and then realize I'm oops I'm holding on to it again and then I may put it down again and the next day I may so letting go of it is also something we do in in repetition it's like it's it's a it's an it's part of the practice it's like because again we have to be really careful we all need to be careful about. You know, talk about not being unforgiving of judging ourselves so so harshly here that we get it our own way. I mean, the idea is letting letting go is is not something something that we just you know, there is isn't. I don't know of any just switch in there to do that. So what you do is you, you basically decide, OK, I'm, I'm adding I'm adding this focus to my to my daily practice. If I'm still holding on to this
0: tomorrow, I'll let go of it again. Kind of thing. So I think that's well, let's a really talk important about getting to that letting go part, because mm-hmm. the you know, there's been some some um, research done on it. I talk about this in this chapter in my book a lot mm-hmm. because I'm a big fan of Dr. Fred Luskin, who's written a book, Forgive for Good. And I cite him several times in that chapter and talk about the process that he discovered. And, it, you know, I love this. This is where psychology, like his work, Dr. Martin Seligman's work, it's where psychology it's at its best. So Mm -hmm. what he did is Stanford was approached by several international organizations and said, look, we think that the the problems that they're having in Israel and Ireland are not going to be resolved politically. We need to work at the grassroots level. We need Mm -hmm. to help people find a way to resolve their feelings, because what, what continues to fuel the violence is this idea of you've hurt me, so now I'm gonna hurt you, right? And, and so they're caught in this vicious escalating cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. So he Stanford was approached by this organization and said, can you help us understand forgiveness and how we might be able to bring workshops on forgiveness to these areas where there's so much violence going on, and so Stanford turned to the psychology department and said, "Hey, you know, mm-hmm. somebody wants to look into this. Can you guys help?" And they put together a team. Dr. Fred Luskin was the um, the um, person, the principal investigator, the PI that was identified to lead the group. And so he sat down and looked at the whole issue of forgiveness. And he says, "Well, what do we have to do?" Well, first, we have to understand what creates a grievance. So if we're going to help people let go of a grievance and get to forgiveness, we have to understand what it is that happened that created this grievance for them. And so he started to sit down with people who have been hurt and betrayed and and experienced terrible, Mm -hmm. terrible things in their life that they could attribute to another person. Right. Because we're not talking about a hurricane here. Now we're talking about another individual or a group of individuals that have done something to hurt me. So as he sat down with them, he started asking, well, what happened? What was your experience? It was great research. And he started to compile all of this and they looked for patterns and themes. The first pattern that stood out is that everyone took what the other person did or what the other group did personally. They did this to me. Right. And he said that personalizing the event, the experience, now started a process of deep pain and a desire to hurt back. They wanted to get revenge. They wanted to somehow figure out how they could even the score. Right. Well, and I, I tell people very often because people need to hear that,
2: that the, the desire that exactly your words, the desire to hurt back is a, is understandable
0: in a natural human reaction, it's a natural response. It's, it's absolutely. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll and, and we will in psychotherapy will help people. In fact, mm-hmm. I remember one time somebody was so angry at someone and said, I'm just so pissed off at them. I had them write the person's name on paper, put it in the toilet mm-hmm. and piss on them. Mm-hmm. There you go. Really pissed on him. I mean, it was like they were mm-hmm. so pissed on. I said, "Get pissed off now. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and mm-hmm. do it." And look, that mm-hmm. helped a lot. They felt mm-hmm. better once they pissed mm-hmm. on that person. But mm-hmm. you thats what's the difference between psychotherapy. We don't tell somebody to bypass those feelings. We say go into them. So that's what he did. At first part. But then he was very clever. Is he started to then introduce the fact that you took that very personally. And they would say, what do you mean? Well, they didn't do it to you. They just did it. Unfortunately, you were in a wrong place. You know, you're wrong time. You know, let's say you were a parent in a coffee shop Mm -hmm. and and, you know, the Protestants or the Catholics set off a bomb in Ireland to blow up the shop. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not about you. It's not personal. It feels very personal because it's a personal experience. But that's what the important thing. But we'll talk about that in a minute, because that was an important part of helping people get to forgiveness. But he saw that they took it personal. The second thing is, is they created a narrative around the experience Mm -hmm. and the narrative made them a victim of what just happened. So they became victimized, which, of course, they felt victimized by it. It's hard not to be, but they felt victimized. But but this is what they did with it, Tom. And, and this fits right in with, with the work I know you do with people, is they kept telling that story over and over again where they were victimized. And what he said, and this was a brilliant observation, every time they told the story, they were re-traumatized. So it's not just what happened that traumatized them. Now, the repeating of the story in the current context of that narrative was continuing to traumatize the individual and made it very difficult to let go of it. Right. One of the things we work with people all the time, rehearsal works. And and
2: when we when you know, and we and we, we and after, actually it's affirmation. It's like you always point out to people that the word affirm just means to make firm. It doesn't mean positive. You know, it's like and so what we do is we run these affirmations. You know, I am this. This happened to me. All this on you know, an endless loop. And, and you know, this is one of the reasons when people say they they start scoffing at other more positive or more realistic uh, affirmations, like, like if you think they don't, if you think affirmations don't work, think of some of the more negative thoughts you have about yourself in your life and tell me how well affirmations work. <laughs> I know personally, they, you know, they're very powerful, but, but that's a really great insight uh, for, the, for this process. What you're saying is, is you're you're just you're just digging it deeper and deeper and deeper every time, every, you every just, retelling.
0: And some of those retellings is just in, in your own mind. That, well, that's exactly right. You're thinking about it. You're sharing it with other people. He says thousands, there's thousands and thousands of those retellings that occur. Yeah. of going over that narrative and he says if you if you stop to think about this, you are you're creating this, if you think of it as a neural pathway. you mm-hmm. are reinforcing this neural pathway. What well, we say what you practice makes permanent mm-hmm. And so you're practicing that kind of an idea. you are, you know really, really, creating that pathway that's going to happen automatically now at some particular point in time, because this stuff gets automatized. So, so that's what he learned about grievance. Mm -hmm. So what he did then the second phase of the experiment, and this was what's brilliant about it. He takes the first phase. Second phase was now we have to take people back through this thing and see if we can undo it. Mm -hmm. And how can we undo it? Well, the first thing is, is there was a lot of empathy done, right? In terms of being able to understand what you're feeling is this is this is typical, normal. But let's start exploring what, ha- what it means to you if you stop taking this personally. Mm-hmm. And instead of taking it personally, you see this as an unfortunate event in your life. Mm-hmm. Not that it was done to you. It happened and it was terribly unfortunate. How does that change? Instead of seeing yourself as a victim of it, can you now start to look at how you've coped with it and dealt with it? And can you now come up with a narrative that empowers you and focuses on your adaptation to this loss, not on the loss? I love also the fact that
2: and, and I don't know if this is from from the, the work that, that you're describing or from some of its filtering through you is because you often talk about the new possibilities is is I, lo- I love the idea of, of any time our language, both explicitly and implicitly helps people understand that we're not telling them they're doing it wrong. What we're doing is we're going to talk about looking for other possibilities. It's That's like right. it's it's, it's exactly. like there's the empathy part of that is 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 there is not if, if somebody if 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 any of the people they're talking about interviewing if somebody if somebody's sitting there who cannot empathize with that if cannot imagine themselves feeling a, in similar ways they probably yeah. shouldn't be in that chair doing that work. It's exactly. it's like it's like but but the truth is what we're looking for are you know what we don't tend to think about in our culture is is you maybe there's a just maybe not whether am i right or am i wrong but is there a better way for me to do this that's and right. that's that's exactly. what you're talking about i love that very why, much
1: so why do people do you think cling to the personalizing of grievances and like why cuz i i've noticed i've encountered resistance in you know talking through some of these traumatic episodes with loved ones. And um, there's some there's somewhat of a comfort, right, to making it about ourselves. I, how can we unpack that? maybe? When you say there's a comfort, what do, what do you mean, Patrick? These narratives we tell ourselves about uh, the wrongs inflicted against us um, and, uh, you know, and personalizing it.
2: Part of part of it is is that the familiar is is safe. We, we, we perceive the familiar is safe. Like we, we, we live in a culture that basically it's it's the 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 victim thinking is really sort of the default setting for for most for most of us. I mean, it is like if you you know, if those of us who, who are working on not being victim thinkers, what my experience with that is what we're doing is we are interrupting our victim thinking on a daily basis and changing it. You know, when when I have a fender bender, it's like it fucking ruined my day, and I hate that person That's all this stuff. You know, nowadays it's like within a very short amount of time, maybe even maybe even a couple of minutes, I've realized. You know, while wow, there are a lot of worse things going on, and uh, you know, and I'm and I now I'm having a minor inconvenience, but it's it's like that took a lot of work to get there because our default setting is to is is to to and we and we do in fact perceive things from our from our perspective. And we can do that. I also think that there is a fear, sometimes unconscious, depending, you know, is it's not so much about being blamed for an event like what we're talking about here with with the research that Alan's talking about. But but I think I think we become challenged when the idea is introduced, even that we can do something about this. Then all of a sudden there's a pressure that feels like, oh, my God, maybe some of this is on me. And, and, it's, and, and, you know, and it's, and the cause of it's not in this case, but, 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 you know, we are in fact saying that we're saying, you know, it's how you're feeling is going to be determined by how you, how you perceive this. And it's, you know, we know this is recovering people. there There's an automatic heels dig in thing. When somebody starts telling us stuff like that, it's like, it's not something we necessarily consciously, you know, can't get our head around, but it's, it's like, that's pressure because it's like, oh Crap, I, I'm going to have to do something different, but not only different, but radically different. So I think there's a natural resistance, you know, that what, uh, you know, Robert, Dr. Robert Keegan calls it the immunity to change, you know, that we have a very strong immune system to change. And it's like, you know, that, that from from because familiar, whether it be painful or not, is is
1: the, the easier way. In my case, it's useful to have completely blown up my life. Um. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I really want to grab that change with both hands because <laughs> it got so bad. You know, I mean, people that made better life choices, uh, you know, I feel bad for them.
0: What, what I would say to what you said, Patrick, about comfort, see, I, I, I think of it a little different. I don't think that there's a comfort in it. I think what happens is, is we are constantly searching to give meaning to our experience. See, that's how we're wired as individuals. We're always attributing an event to something that to try to come up with some understanding of it. You know, we have to do that in order to survive in this world, in order to function in this world. And so when we filter things through this narcissism we're talking about, and I'm not using the word like pathological narcissism. Mm -hmm. Every one of us are self-centered, self-focused to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true. Every person has this in this society, especially Western culture. My God, there's a big self-focus, right? It's all about us and it's mm-hmm. all about me, kind of a thing. And and look, there's a lot of socio-political reasons for that. When you have capitalism, you have to have a bunch of consumers, and so you got to get people to want certain things. I remember this one show on marketing. It was great in terms of how marketing has influenced our experience in our culture is people didn't know that they needed Mm -hmm. (laughs) Q-tips. And the marketers did such a job that you are not going to find a household that doesn't have Q-tips in it nowadays.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a thing. Now, did we get along without Q-tips for long? Of course we did. Do do we really need them? No, we don't. But but that's what marketing does is it helps you think, well, I need this to be OK.
1: I just bought some the other day. <laughs> See, you bought
0: your Q-tips. They did it. They've 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 got us <laughs> believe in Q-tips. We believe we need the newest phone, the newest iPhone out mm-hmm. there, the newest car. I mean, think about it when you think about the man that the automakers are making a new car every year. Why every year? Why aren't we doing it every five years? You know what I mean? It's like, because we need the machine, re machinery of capitalism to keep turning. But, you know, I don't want to get too far away. But mm-hmm. let's bring it back to personally. So Don, Don Miguel Ruiz, in his book, The Four Agreements, calls mm-hmm. it our domestication. Right. Is that right. we are always domesticated to believe that we are personally important. And the way that uh, Dr. Theodore Isaac Rubin calls it is that we all claim this special status. It's all about me. This shouldn't happen to me, that somehow I should be exempt from the laws of nature or, or from what happens in society or this or that. I mean, I went through that when, you know, the prospect of Maddie being born with that spinal muscular atrophy. You know, I had this expectation I should have a normal child. I shouldn't be somehow I should be exempt from having to deal with this. You know that I had to let go of that idea in order to cope with it. So I think that this response to taking it personally is just built in with the mindset we have in terms of how we're raised in this culture, Mm -hmm. in our society. So we're going to have that. We're going to take it very personally that this is happening to me. And look, it's never about us. See, We can say that across the board. What other people do is about them, not about us. Right. You know, even if you get mad at me and say, Alan, you're an idiot. I don't know. You believe that you, what you're saying that you can even mm-hmm. tell people this right now. I'm not going to take that on. It's about me. Mm-hmm. That's just your frustration with what I'm saying that somehow you don't like it or whatever it is. But that's you. Well, and that's a good point. What to go to stick
2: with our our forgiveness thing because I think if we're looking at if we're if if we're I'm kind of broadening the generalization on what we're talking about resistance here. But if we're res- resisting the the bringing it back to ourselves, taking it personally, and let and letting it go from that perspective, I think that there's a there is a. Um, a fear something that feels unfair rather than unfortunate that feels unfair because it because i think there's a fear that we're that what we're saying is we're going to let the other person off the hook and yeah. it's like and one of the things I, I i find myself saying to people it's like i'm not ever saying that that the other that other people are not messing up or they haven't done things bad things to you stuff like that and i'm not and i'm not i'm not suggesting that you know we're supposed to live a life that you know is allows them to get away with stuff and we don't but the idea is um, we're simply t- we really are simply talking from the most f- f- logical point of view of the the serenity prayer which is uh, we don't control them and you know you, you you've said that several different ways today it's, it's like you know we do not control them it does not mean and and we do not have, you know if I and if you want to ask me, tell me a story about somebody who's, who mistreated you or did something you think it was unfair and, you know, and even unconscionable, it's like, I'll go like, I can tell you a story about that. It's like, I can tell you that kind of stuff. But what what I can hopefully do is tell you how I'm not like what you said earlier. I'm not carrying that around with me every every single moment of every single day anymore. Because because I'm I'm so upset by it. It's like I needed to let those things I have to let those things go, so that you know. I mean, you know, my definition or one of my ways of looking at fear. I've quoted on here before is, you know, fear. I mean, I mean forgiveness is forgiveness is not something we do. It's our natural state when we're not holding on to old pain, and it's like. And what you're talking about is specifically how do we let go of the pain, you know,
0: that comes natural. from. And that's what we're talking about is, is once again, this, you know, we're talking about not on, you know, don't have to unhook that other person, but unhook yourself. See, that's the releasing part. You know, we're not saying what they did is right or anything like that. We're just saying you can let go of this so that you are not being controlled by these feelings so that, so that the resentment is not toxic to you. There's so much research today that has linked Anger and resentment to heart disease mm-hmm. is the cortisols that are released when you're angry and you're holding on to anger is not good for your heart muscle. It's OK in small dosage, but to have a chronic experience of that is not good. It literally is hurting us. I mean, right. But, but let's but I think this is such an important point
2: about anger because anger gets such a bad rap. You know, it's like like like, oh, anger does causes all these things. No. What you just said is exactly right. No, holding on to anger is That's what right. does this to us. And see, here's the thing. We hold, you know, I, I call this, the, I call it the emotional digestive system. You know, all the, all emotions want to do is the same as food. It just wants to come through us, you know, yes. and we're, you know, but it's like, and what, so, but we become emotionally constipated. Some people love this analogy. Some people don't, It's but we become emotionally constipated because we hold on to, to That's to the right. feelings that we are the most afraid of and that we understand the least so the ones the ones so we are the ones that make it problematic so if i so in anger is often that feeling so the idea is is you know we hold on to the anger because we think we have the power by holding on to it to to not no longer be angry if you're not going to be angry I mean, when you have somebody piss on piss on the piece of paper, you know, in, in the toilet, what are we doing or what? You know, any way that we're helping people symbolically work that out, we're helping we're, we're 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 helping them get through the feeling through, express the feeling, yeah. you know, let it let it out. And so I want people to know that are listening is 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 if you have any messages in there that say, which most of us have carried in our culture, that the anger itself is bad. No, anger, you know, no emotion is bad unless it gets blocked. Just, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing is bad about our digestive system unless we get blocked. Then then yeah. things become toxic.
0: Boy, and so that, what we- I mean, I've heard that. See, I've heard people say that, you know, I, in mm-hmm. fact, we were in a gestalt training that I had yesterday. Mm-hmm. We were working with a woman that was incredibly hurt and betrayed by her husband. And she was just talking about it. Uh, I will never forgive him. I will never forgive him for what he'd done to me and the kids. Mm-hmm. And and so we, we don't push against that. Like you said, we go with the resistance. Mm-hmm. So she was invited to say, I will never forgive you for, mm-hmm. and let her give voice to that. And as she gave voice to that, she was able to feel all of the pain, all of the anger underneath mm-hmm. that and she could start to let it go. So sometimes getting to the letting go is paradoxical. You have Mm -hmm. to own it before you can, you gotta name it before you can tame it, we say. You gotta name the emotion, you gotta feel the emotion, you gotta let yourself experience it because when you do it, almost like it clears the space as Tom is saying. Mm -hmm. You digest it and now you're available for a new experience. Yeah. And then what you're describing
2: with the woman in your training is here's a situation where she didn't have to in that moment. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to even explain what you were doing as much as in that moment. She did not have to defend her position. All she had to do was was, was express it. And and the truth is, when we express it, guess what? when we express the story in exactly the way that the accepting exactly the way that we perceive it. Well, guess what comes with it? The feelings. They're right there. And, 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 you know, and I mean, it's, uh, people do not get this so often. I, t- you know, when I wrote the book about fear, it's like a, a, I wrote a lot about a, a reassurance. I said, it's so much more reassuring for somebody to listen to you and just be able to say, no shit, that must be, that really sucks, than yeah. it is to give a bunch of explanations about how they, they shouldn't be feeling the way they should feel. You know, exactly. it's it's like it just it's it, and it goes back to the stuff that we talk about on Thursday group. We uh, that Roger talks about a lot with uh, uh, too is that acceptance is the is the first step to change always.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I think exactly. you walked us through, Alan. Um, you know, forgiving your dad, you know, for leaving, yeah. and that was very powerful, right? And it was okay. a similar similar route, right? That's right. Similar thing.
0: And, and see, then the next thing that happens is that that Lushkin, he was really great. And I didn't emphasize this uh, uh, in my chapter enough, but one of the things he did is he tries to balance out a person's perception of what they've lost with gratitude. And he gets them to focus on what they have today, not what they've lost but what they have in their life today. And some people can even get to the point of being gratitude, having gratitude for the pain. I'm working with this young man right now. It's a terrible tragedy. He was married for two and a half years, found the love of his life, and through some terrible circumstances, his wife died after a sinus surgery. And he went out to have lunch, comes back, and she was gone. She they pulled her off the bed, tried to do CPR to resuscitate her. This was like the day after her surgery, and she died. And now he's left now with this incredible pain of losing the lo- love of his life. Mm-hmm. and one of the the you know sort of i've and you know, he got all this pressure from his parents, from friends and stuff. well, you know. She's gone. People would even say heartless things like, well, you were she was only in your life a couple of years. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. things like that, to, trying to help him. I understand. Mm-hmm. But dismissing his experience completely. Mm-hmm. None of that stuff was helpful. Dismissing what he felt, saying you're going to get over it. There's a, you're young. You're going to have a lot of life to live. It's all dismissive, all all well-intentioned. But the road to hell is paved with good intention it, it, and, and it
2: minimizes and, and it minimizes totally. and criticizes. You don't mean it, but it's a it's, exactly. you shouldn't, you shouldn't you be. Shouldn't. You should not be feeling what you feel. It's like it's like good intentions do not save us from that. It's, it's like, no. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, and we say that stuff, by the way, because we're uncomfortable because I that's don't right. know what
0: to say to you. That's exactly what his parent. That's, I had a talk with his parents. I said, look, mm-hmm. what you guys are doing is, is trying to resolve your pain because it's hard seeing your son in so much pain. I understand mm-hmm. that, but that's mm-hmm. not the way to do it. That's making this worse. Mm-hmm. And they you know, they worked with me long enough. They could take that feedback and use yep. it and retry to do better. Um, but what we started to do, you know, I mean, I gave him a lot of room to just stay with his feelings. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and we've done that. He's been crying with me and, mm-hmm. and talking about all that he misses. And every time there's an anniversary, mm-hmm. either their anniversary or doing something that they mm-hmm, did together, mm-hmm. it brings all the pain up. Yeah. But one of the things I said to him is I says, God, you know, let's start to treat your pain as an expression of your love for her. Mm hmm. And that what you're feeling is your deep, deep love. That's what this is about. This is just another dimension or another side of what love is about. You don't know that if you love some, I mean, you, there's no love in in being with another person if they, you can't be hurt like this. And I said, the extent of your pain shows me how important she was to you. And then he cries even more, right? Yeah. <laughs> when we well, talk it, about that, it.
2: because that's it. Grief, grief is the hardest part of love. I mean, it is part of it. Somebody's going to recognize it when you say it. But I think that's one of those things. It's beautiful for you to point that out for him or for anybody that, that needs to hear it. Is the idea so that you can understand that. You know, because, you know, one of the things I always say is people die, relationships don't. And and and, you know, obviously, especially a sudden death, like what you're describing here is is tragic and uh, and a very, a very difficult grieving process. But it's like he's he's still that's
0: his loving her. He misses, you miss you know, totally is loving her. And she's still that spirit is she's still present in his life through that spirit. I mean, and that means a lot to him when he started to get that, mm-hmm. you know, now he's honoring the experience with her and it's nothing he needs to let go. It's something he just needs to integrate mm-hmm. that. My God, this was an incredible experience he had and could be grateful that he was able to love even for a couple of years. I said to him one time, so if God came to you before you mm-hmm. met her and says, all right, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a chance to have the Mm -hmm. woman of your dreams come into your life. Mm -hmm. You get her for two and a half years. And then, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, something's going to happen and Mm -hmm. she's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Would you sign up for that? Mm -hmm. He says, of course, I would have. Of course, I would have. Because I wouldn't have wanted to miss what I did have with her for that very short period of time. And then you then you add to
2: that, which you which you is automatically added there, but the cool part about that to me is also, and even now, knowing what you know, including knowing what it feels like, would you go back and change it? And it's like no, I would not. would you would you make a different choice? Would you avoid it now that you know the pain? It's like, no, I would not change that. And then it becomes valuable.
0: Yes, that's right. That's value. And then he embraces the experience instead of objects to it. See, that's Mm -hmm. where we accept it. Not and it doesn't mean that we're okay with it, but it doesn't mean mean
2: you like it. It doesn't mean you like it. It just means you accept accept
0: it. it Is what it is, and now (laughs) you get on with coping with it, Mm -hmm. which is what he's doing at this point in his time. Mm -hmm. And you know, look, it's been a couple years already since that that he happened, and he and and there's no expectation that he has to get over now. Is he a lot better at this point with what we've been doing? Oh, my God. The change in him is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, he is, is, um, his parents see it. He sees it even in himself. You know, he's no longer just depressed, staying in the house. He's going out, doing a few things. But he's not ready to start dating somebody. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, where are everybody else will start dating someone. That'll help you get over it. No, it won't. Yeah, it just pushes it down, as Tom says, it creates that you know that backup, right? That, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't get you to digest the experience. We want people to digest these experiences so they can grow from them. Right. So that's what Lushkin was about. That's what this mm-hmm. chapter is all about. You cannot achieve emotional sobriety if you're holding on to resentment, if you're if you're holding on to hurt from being betrayed. It, it, it behooves you for your sake to enter a process to try to work through those feelings so that you can be free because emotional sobriety is emotional freedom. That's right. what emotional sobriety is. And it's us being able to, it's finding a way to claim our experience. And I say that in a book, I talk a lot about mm-hmm. it, is claiming your experience, not letting your experience claim you. Yep. And it's a deep, it's a deep, deep to
2: use, to use, I guess, my version of technology as a, as a metaphor is this is this is going in and deeply changing a, 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 your default setting. You know, That's it's right. like because it's not just about what you how you just look at this situation this way. It's about looking at life from the perspective you're describing. That's right. It's, it's like exactly, coming to life with exactly, with with, exactly with acceptance true. in our hearts it's about acceptance yes. what happens and i'm not you i'm not somebody who's who you know cuz i think this we do this fake false comfort too oh well this is, is it was meant to be it's like i don't know what's meant to be i don't know how the universe works but it, it right. is what it is what happened you know That's and right. and it's like and we and we do not have that we do not have the capacity to change that so my, we define ourselves by how and you you say this over and over again and i don't think we can repeat it often enough we you know we were responsibility the ability to respond our de- definition of who we are at the end of the day and at the ultimately the end of our life is, is based on how we respond to things that happen, not to what happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, good show you guys.
0: Fantastic.
2: Yes. We could, we could, we could do an entire podcast on the whole forgiveness thing. That's for sure. There's so much to do. So I'm sure we'll, we will, if, if there are things we're talking well, about, if you're listening, as
0: we think about it, if next time that we start that, but continue our discussion a little bit, I think that'd be great. Yeah, And then, uh, and then we'll move on from
1: there. Is that okay, yeah. Patrick, yeah. what do you think? That sounds wonderful. And I just, uh, wanted to say, I gained a lot from, uh, your discussion just now. And, um, Something so beautiful about, uh, you know, if given the opportunity to uh, relive our experiences with the pain intact, you know, mm. I think uh, 99 out of 100 people would take that deal. And yeah. that's instructive on its own, I think, mm-hmm. right. about the value of it.
2: Yeah. And it, it also it also helps us see a little have, have a little bit higher opinion of ourselves. You know, how about that? You go like, hey, what? I would have thought I would have I would have I would have guessed for sure I would take the chicken shit way out, you know, but but but, you know, the truth is, you give me a question like that and I really consider it. And I go like, huh, I didn't. You know?
0: That's
1: right. All right, you guys. I'll see you Love next it. week and happy holidays. We'll see you for a uh, post Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, guys. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth.
3: Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing will entertain me like nobody else. So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me